theyeshiva.net. So this is again Lakuta Torah Bamidbar, Daf Tesvav, Column Two. And uh, in the English, in the English numbers, numerical, it would be twenty-nine. al Har Sinai The reason the Torah was given on Har Sinai. The reason that the Torah was given on Mount Sinai Dafka, meaning Chazal tell us, as we all learned in Yeshiva, that many of the mountains craved the Torah to be given on them. The Tover mountain came, and the Chermon mountain came, and the Carmel mountain came. They all wanted the Schus of having the Torah being given on them. But only Har Sinai actually merited it. The Targum Yonison says in Sefer Shoftim. The Targum Yonison ben Uziel tells us in Sefer Shoftim. Simon Hay on the Pasuk Harim Nozlu, Betilim Simon Samachas, Tehillim Kapitel 68 al Pasuk, Lama Tirad's Dun Harim Gavnunim. Hashem says, Why do you jump? Do you uh, leap? Various various mountains, basically, who crave to have the Torah, and Chazal tell us these words: "Lace Ravasi." It is not my will. Rava means will. Ravasi means my will. It's not my will. Lemitan oiraisa to give the Torah. Oiraisa is Torah in uh, in Aramaic. Alturaya on mountains which are. Um, gave sonin mipsaranya, which are uh, arrogant and haughty. I don't want to give my Torah on mountains that are arrogant and haughty. Targum habuz gave sanaya. We say in uh, some in, in Tehillim we say habuz He disgraces. He he denigrates. He doesn't consider What's ge'ayoyinim? So the Targum says, Mevasrenayev gave Sanaya, basically those who are arrogant and haughty. So those are the same words that God says, I don't want to give my Torah on these mountains. Hatur Sinai de Machich Here is the Mount Sinai, which is more humble than all of the mountains. Har Sinai was a much smaller, physically, a smaller mountain than these other mountains like Tover, Hermon, and Karma. They all are tall, splendid, impressive mountains that uh, generate a certain awe and a reverence because of their their stature and exaltedness. And as a result of that, they felt they should get the Torah. And Hashem says, I'm not looking for the tall mountain which feels arrogant. I want Har Sinai because it's the humble mountain. It's machich. Machich means lower, humble, from all of your other mountains, and he chooses Har Sinai, which was the humble one. This is what Chazal said. Now this is obviously, repre- represents something. There's a symbolism they're trying to convey. It doesn't necessarily mean that the mountains physically moved over and started to have this conversation, but it means every mountain has an energy, and the energy expresses itself, and Hashem is, so to speak, communicating an idea through this medrash about the uniqueness of Har Sinai. And it's the way that Chazal choose to convey 
many profound ideas through these types of descriptions and allegories and metaphors. However, they're to be understood exactly what it means the mountain speaks and God responds to the mountain. So he says as follows. What this means is, the haughtiness, the tallness of these two mountains. These mountains are innocent mountains. <laughs> Nothing wrong being a tall mountain, but they're representing something. They're representing symbolically the man who inflates himself. He lifts himself up. Begasos. Gasos comes from like the word gas haruach, which means. Uh, um, uh, a sense of haughtiness, of gaive, of arrogance. Vahagasus hushoyrish kol hara. It's a very interesting expression. Gasus, arrogance, is the root, the root of all evil. You know, they had in the camps, on the canteen, right? Money is the root of all evil, so leave your evil here. But money is not the root of all evil. It, everything could be the root of evil. Money and poverty can also be the root of evil. I mean, we know that. Everything could be used either way. But he's talking here about a specific gasos, that's the shayrish of Ra. As is known from the concept of shayrish HaKelem, which means the breaking of the vessels. He's referring to the fact that we spoke about in Sheshis Yamim and other occasions, that before our world, there was a whole other world known as Olam HaToyo, the world of chaos. But that world experienced a spiritual explosion, an absolute destruction. It's known in Kabbalah, in Darizal's works, as Shvirus HaKem, the breaking of the vessels. And the reason there was a breaking of the vessels is because the energies collided with each other. There was a head-and-head collision, and this came from the element of Gases, that each one was absolutely self-contained and did not give space for the other. So Chesed would not give space for Gvura, and Gvura would not give space for Chesed, Chachma not for Bina, and Netzach not. Nobody gave space. In other words, they felt that they must be all-encompassing, infinite, without any limitations and inhibitions. And ultimately, the weight was too heavy on the Kalim, on the vessels, on the structure. They broke. And this actually creates the whole process of Gashmias that he explained in earlier my mom, the whole process of Gashmias, which is basically divine energy lost in translation, transformed, metamorphosized, is because the breakdown, the breakage, which still maintains a certain energy, but it's misplaced and misdirected. This is rooted in the element of Gasos. Why is Gasos the Shadish of Ra? Because basically what Gasos does is, Gasos is the element that a person who's really arrogant, what the, uh, the arrogance here is the shaydish of Ra, because the gasus does not allow a person any genuine growth. Doesn't allow the person to be introspective. Doesn't allow the person to be authentic. Doesn't allow a person to be vulnerable. Doesn't allow a person to be real. And does not allow a person to actually live, to be in tune with life, because basically... I'm constantly feeling myself. It's like this feeling of self-consciousness that doesn't allow you to be in touch with the heartbeat of life, with the rhythm of life, because I'm completely obsessed with myself, with placing myself. You know how it is in some situations when you're in this, this, this place of self-consciousness and you can't get out of it. You come to a wedding, you're not at the wedding because you're self-conscious. You come to a mitzvah, you're not at a mitzvah. You come to davening, you're not, at, you're not at a meal. You're nowhere. You're not in a relationship because you're completely entangled and enmeshed with the self. So you're divorced from the rhythm of life. You're divorced from the heartbeat of life, from your own heartbeat, from actually the experience, the experience of life. So self-consciousness 
is 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 a challenge, real, you know, the obsession with self-consciousness in contrast to self-awareness, we'll soon see. There's being aware of the self and being self-conscious. But he calls it here Shairish Kol because really what it means is that it's the key of all Ra because it's the feeling of complete fragmentation from my source. I'm not aligned with my source. When a person is aghast, when a person is arrogant and haughty, they have to create a fake sense of confidence because they're detached from their source. And because a person is detached from his source, which is what Gasus Haruach is, I feel myself separate and fragmented, so ultimately it's the source of a human being's downfall. They don't feel the confidence, the true confidence, that comes from their oneness with their source. And therefore they have to create a substitute for it. And whenever you have to create a substitute for your true confidence through arrogance and haughtiness, so ultimately this person is vulnerable for all types of situations to attach themselves through their life because they have to always feed the void that is looking for identity. We all need to feel needed. We all need to feel loved. You can't take that away from a person. But why do I feel needed? Why do I feel loved? Somebody once told me, he said, my philosophy in life is I grew up feeling that nobody needed me. I was worthless and I was meaningless. So I made a decision subconsciously. He told this to me already as an older man. I made a decision subconsciously. You're all going to need me. He says, and therefore I started to work 20 hours a day to make sure that the world needs me. So he's working very hard in his office, and the only reason he's doing it is because he wants to feel that he's needed. He wants somebody ultimately to say, we really need you. So his whole life he's driving himself mad and crazy working, not just like a workaholic, but obsessively beyond why, because he needs to feel needed. And what do people do in order to feel loved and companionship? There was a teenage girl who committed suicide. At the funeral, there were very few people, and the mother said, I don't understand, she had 3,000 friends on Facebook. Where are all these friends? They all wrote like, 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 like. So what do people do to feel loved, to feel acceptance, to feel a sense of self? Gasos Haruach is a sense of a powerful self. But what is it based on? It's not based on connection with my source. It's based on substitutions because I'm disconnected from my source. So therefore, it's ultimately a source of a void that never is filled. Because you can't fill my void. I have to fill my void. So therefore, anything that comes my way, if it fills the void, it's going to go into me. So that's the shaydish. Basically, you lose your immunity. Just like in health, a person, chas v'shalom, loses their immunity. So any, any toxicity available attacks you. And there's plenty of bacteria to go around. Psychologically and emotionally, it's the same way. You'd, I lose my immunity because I'm disconnected to my source. So the question is, what's exciting today? What fad is exciting today emotionally, psychologically? You want to ask something? Okay. What's the Rebbe told me? I tell the truth Who, the Rebbe told you? So, uh... same Shorish. Huh? Gosses is the same Shorish. Interesting. Interesting. You're saying Gassos and Goises is the same thing. Because the gas is really a goisus. He's looking for, uh, for some oxygen. That's interesting. <laughs> Very nice. I don't know. It's interesting. Gimel Samach.
The main function of Torah is to experience Bittl. What's Bittl? Bittl, as we explained quite a few times, is it's usually translated in the English uh, translations as nullification, which in, 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 in the laws of Kashrus is a good translation. <laughs> the milk gets nullified, the, the, the arla gets nullified, the meat gets nullified, the taste gets nullified. It's a good translation. I'm not sure in this context it's the best translation. Because nullification we understand as, you know, nullification. So why don't you just shoot yourself, right? So you'll be nullified. <coughs> Which is, of course, not what bittle is. Nor does bittle mean you become a doormat. You know, why don't you just become the rug here and let everybody step on you? You'll certainly be nullified pretty fast. Now some people do that, to be sure. But is that the Iker of Torah? Leo's is bittle. The Iker of Torah is Leo's is bittle. The Iker of Torah, Leo's is bittle, means that the Iker of Torah is that a person never substitutes their true self with a fake self. Bittal means complete alignment with your true source. And when you're completely aligned with your true source, so what is nullified? The sense of camouflaging, camouflaging your true self with a fake sense of self, that is nullified. That's what you want to be mavatal. You want to be mavatal the sense of separateness from Hashem. Bittal means that at every situation of my life, I feel that I am part of God. I feel that God is with me. God is in me. I'm expression of that. So that's actually the greatest builder of the sense of self in the, in the sense that I am an expression of Hashem's light. And every single moment. The moment I'm feeling terrible guilt, the moment I'm feeling that I'm a hopeless loser, some, someone told me, once that I have, he said about himself, I have tremendous bittal because I always feel like a loser. I said it's exact opposite. You have tremendous gasas haruach. You have tremendous gasas haruach because you always feel like a loser. And so one of two things happen: either you you stop existing, so you're not you're not attached to your source, or you substitute your existence with a fake with a fake gasas haruach with a fake existence. So really, bittel means complete alignment. And whenever there's complete alignment, I never have to camouflage. And therefore, naturally, I have no problem being accountable. I have no problem being vulnerable. I have no problem being honest. I have no problem saying I'm sorry. I have no problem apologizing. I don't need a veneer of perfection because I will not melt away if I say I'm sorry because I'm always connected to my source. That's why we say at the end of Shemina Esra, Venafshi, the Gemara says in Brachas at the end of Shemineser, Elikain, it's, it's a beautiful tefillah, although people are usually in a rush at that point. They had enough. Netzar l'shayni meira, guard my tongue from evil, usfaseh medaber mirma, my lips from speaking deceitfully, I shouldn't connive and manipulate, you know. And then we say, L'mkaul ha'nafshi sidoi, Venafshi ka'ofor l'kol tiya, P'sach libi b'serasecha, my soul should be like offer which means like earth for all, open my heart in Torah. Now, one second. What does the nafshik afalakaltiya mean? Afar, everybody steps on, right? Nobody thinks twice. Nobody says, hey, that's earth. Respect. Don't step on me. No, no, no. Tread, step, step, step. Look at this poor parking lot here by 22 Forche. 
Every day something else happens to this earth. One day it's a Lag Boimer bonfire, the other day everybody's parking there, the other day they build, they take off. It's, it's Mamash Shahir, it's like the Midbar with the Mishkan. On and off, on and off. I don't know where the cloud is, but. Uh, but uh, so so what what are you asking? You're praying the you're sending off your child to school in the morning. What's your message? You should be like dust to everybody today. You should be like earth. That's what we're davening for. And the next line is even more funny. Open up my heart in Torah. So Toisvis in Masachta Brachas, Daf Zion, I believe, says something very powerful. Afar is indestructible. What are you gonna do to destroy Afar? It's very hard to destroy Afar. It's indestructible, and it's the source of all growth. So he says, that's what we're davening. It should be like offer that's indestructible. But what does this mean in a person's life? What it means in a person's life is that I should be like offer in the sense that I should realize that my core is indestructible. And because my core is indestructible, so therefore your compliments don't make me, and your criticism don't destroy me. You're stepping on me, does not destroy my life because my sense of identity is not dependent on you saying, hey, you're such a good guy. So when I get a compliment, I'm in the heavens. And when I get criticism, I'm like, oh my God, why am I alive? Your wife says something nice to you and it's like, Givaldi, you feel good. And the moment there's a, there's, a, there's a question or an objection, you like melt away and you have to become defensive and you have to become angry and you have to become aggressive or you implode internally. Some people, they're passive-aggressive. No, they don't attack this way, but they attack this way. They become alienated and detached. Why? Because they heard some words of criticism. In other words, they are destructible matter. So how can such a person be accountable? How can such a person be vulnerable? I can't. It's too dangerous. I'm going to fade into oblivion. So bitl really means that I have the confidence to be able to be open, to be able to listen. To actually be able to listen to real criticism, you know why? Because I'm like offer, my core is very, very solid. And because it's very, very solid, therefore I'm capable of real growth. Now my heart could be opened in Torah. Why can my heart be opened in Torah? Because I'm not defensive. I can actually be open to newness. And the reason I can be open to newness is because I can be open to life. I'm not walking around with protective gear, constantly protecting myself, always in potential confrontation with other people because I'm really very unwholesome. And therefore my existence is so limited and it's so narrow. And it's, everything is strategized, everything is planned. That's what real self-consciousness is. I'm just not free. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only sugar man. Okay. So so, okay, so when you say huh? grounded. <laughs> so when you say when you say the tachlis of the whole Torah is bittel, this means this is the real tachlis of Torah. Real tachlis of Torah is to allow people to be able to really open themselves up to real living, and real living means I never have to be in a state of arrogance because I'm never afraid of being afar because my core is indestructible because I'm always aligned with my Creator. And my creator is indestructible. So if I'm aligned with him, I'm also indestructible. Like we said earlier, So therefore, therefore, Torah and Gasa Saruach don't go together. That's what the Gemara says in Saita Daf Hey, that Hashem says, 
Me and the Balgaiva can't live under the same roof. They say about the Heliki Ruzhner, Bisro Ruzhner, once came to a city to visit, and he was a well-known tzaddik of his times, the Heliki Bisro Ruzhner, and there was a, a Jew who was pious, he was very religious, he was known, he was very successful, very wealthy, and very, very firm, but he had an issue with arrogance, a terribly arrogant person, like a narcissist. You know, sometimes you could be a religious narcissist. It's all narcissism. Me, me, me. Self-righteous, holier-than-thou syndrome. And, uh, but he was always the host for all the, you know, the rabbis and Rosh Hashivas and Rebbes. And the original chose another house of a Jew who also had a fine house, but people spoke about him. You know, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that. Nishtazay from, nishtazay this. You know, when, when it came to the Shidduch resumes, however it worked then. The original went to his house. So this year, the other Jew comes over to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I don't understand. Everybody knows that I'm a Erlich The kashras by me is impeccable. The house is a holy house. This Jew, the kitchen is questionable. Wife does questions. And him does questions. Children does questions. I don't understand. Why do you go to him? So he says, the Pasuk says in Parshish Achirei Mois, HaShoychen Itam Besoychtum Asam. God dwells among the Jewish people in their impurity, in their Tumah. In other words, Tumah does not chase away God. God will dwell a, with a person in Tumah. But the Gemara says in Saita, about Gaiva, Hashem says, Einanivu hu ladur. I can't live with him under the same roof. He says, that house there may be Tumah, but you know what? God is still this. I went there. He says, in your house, I wasn't sure that God is there. <laughs> so Melai didn't go there. Now, what does this really mean? This doesn't mean this is not a heksha for Tumah, but it's saying something very profound. When a person is open to truth, so I may have a lot of flaws, I may have made a lot of mistakes, but God says, I'm still there. You're in the dumps, I'll come with you in the dumps. It's fine. The just say, even the haster, aster is also a noichi. I'm still there. I'll be there. I'll come down with you to the abyss. But the moment you're arrogant, now you're not letting me be here. Basically, arrogance means you cannot open yourself up to a true, deeper reality, to your own soul, to your own core. So you're expelling me from your midst. What should I do? You're not letting me be here with you. So therefore, he says, Iker Kol is for a person to have this bittel, to be able to be truly aligned with their source, and therefore, ultimately, their sense of egotism becomes nullified. That's what becomes nullified. It becomes nullified because they're part of the infinite, infinite light. And he says, and You have to figure out how this comes in here. It's a pasuk in Emer. The pshat is, the Balatanya says, what does Chilul Hashem mean? What does Chilul Shabbos mean? What does Chilul Yom Tov mean? So we translate it as desecration. You violate Shabbos. You desecrate Hashem's name. You desecrate a holy day. Chilul, right? L'chalel. Chilul Hashem. As children, Chilul Hashem. Don't desecrate Hashem's name. But what does the word mean? The word means empty. Chalal. Empty. Valibi cholol bekerbi empty. Valoisa chalalu, what does chilul Hashem? Listen to this. Chilul Hashem means there should be no space in your life where you believe it's empty of God. The moment you believe there's a cholol, there's an emptiness of God, that's chilul Hashem. So chilul Hashem really means that you believe that there's a space where God is not here. 
Now, when I'm feeling that self-consciousness, what do you think of me? What is this person? What am I going to do? I'm completely overwhelmed with myself. Am I, do, am I basically saying that there's an empty space where God is not here? Because if God was here, so first of all, relax. Second of all, stop criticizing yourself so much and stop putting yourself down so much. If God is here right now, there's goodness here. There's meaning here. There's potential for growth here. There's purpose here. And there's a mistake, fine. But if God is here, that means there can be growth from the mistake. There can be growth from the sin. So means don't allow there to be a space in your life that's empty. Empty of what? Empty of His presence. The moment I feel there's a space in life that's empty of his presence, that's what arrogance is. So it's a little counterintuitive, because we look at arrogance, right? I'm big, I'm big, I'm big. Really what arrogance is saying, that God is not in a particular space, and therefore I need a substitute. And what's my substitute? So my substitute is, I'm going to make you need me. I'm going to make you love me. I'm going to love... Whatever it is, this is where addiction comes in, of course, always to fill a space. There's no addiction that doesn't come. All addiction is Chilil Hashem. Why? We understand Chilil Hashem, you know, you go out to the street, make a Kiddush Hashem. True. But it means something much deeper, much more subtle, much more sensitive. Not just go out to the street and be a mensch. You know, don't backstab at work and don't end up on the front page of the New York Post. That's also a great accomplishment these days. And it's a wonderful thing. But, uh, but, uh, but, but there's a subtlety here that's really the source of it all. And that is... Why am I making, what does it mean I'm making a chil Hashem? I really believe in this space, whether it's the business deal, right? Whether it's something else, God is not here, God is not present. And it psychologically it means that I'm in a place where I just feel there's hopelessness. God is not here, so there's no meaning here, there's no goodness here, there's no light here. I'm not attached, I'm not connected. There's a chal, there's a void. And all habits, all bad habits, all addictions are... are are fueled by a void. There's a chalal. And the only way to fill that chalal, I can't do it through gambling or alcohol or websites. It's not going to fill it's not gonna fill that chalal. It'll satisfy it. It'll make me uh, feel satiated for a few minutes, for a few hours. But tomorrow I still need it because the void wasn't filled. I have to bring God into the picture to fill that void. And then what happens is, don't make a place empty of my holy name. And that's what Chilul Shabbos is. What's Chilul Shabbos? The same, the same idea. Chilul Shabbos is, there's a Kedusha that permeates a person on Shabbos. When I do Chilul Shabbos, basically, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm creating an empty space of the Kedusha of Shabbos. I'm not sensitive to the fact that there's an energy flowing in the cosmos. So even I do a simple Malacha on Shabbos, what am I doing? Chilul Shabbos is not just a a penalty, and it's not even a description of sin. Like everything in Nister, it explains the reason that it's a problem. The reason it's a problem is because don't create a space that's empty of Shabbos because what you're doing here is you're desecrating an energy that exists within you. You're making believe that it's empty. It's not empty. So that's the connection here where he says, because the Shoirish of Torah, the whole Indian of Torah is this concept of Bittu means complete, completely connected with my source under all circumstances. This doesn't mean I'm not in the dumps. It means if I am in the dumps, I'm still connected to my source and therefore I can turn it into a catalyst. I can turn it into a springboard and I don't have to substitute it and create um, substitutes for, for true reality with fake reality which is going to lead to the big question that will Amit Hashem continue tomorrow is, 
why Har Sinai was chosen because it's humble, but why a mountain at all? The best thing is get rid of the mountain. If the mountain represents this this type of arrogance, we'll see the next part of it. So, so the nekuda here is one nekuda. That gasus, haughtiness, arrogance, in which you are detached from your own source, is shoyrish kolhara. Shoyrish kolhara. Kolharam includes, kolharam literally, depression, for example. Even depression. Because it's all the same nekudah. Veloisa chalalu. There's a chalal, there's an empty space. I feel alone, I feel detached, I feel isolated, I feel hopeless, I feel despair. And that's immediately a shayrish of ra. Sometimes people think that depression is a good thing because it makes them introspective and it makes them thoughtful and it makes them sensitive and it crushes the arrogance but you have to be very careful because sometimes it's the greatest, greatest scheme of the Yetzirah the greatest scheme to put a person into atzvos, into depression it's one of the best ideas to get a person to do almost anything you want him to do for a very simple reason when a person is depressed, they don't have self-dignity. If you don't have self-dignity, if you feel you're a shmata and you're hopeless, so who cares what you do? Your actions don't matter. If my shirt, if my shirt is already stained with ice cream and chocolate cake and apple juice and orange juice, and now somebody puts another stain on it, pours some more juice on it, I won't even notice it. You know? It's like you're caught in the rain, in the heavy rain, so first you resist, but at some point, if you're walking in the rain, and you're drenched, okay, so you already go into the puddles. <laughs> at some point, you're so drenched, you can't get more drenched. Go, what, what do you have to jump over a puddle? Go into the puddle. Aye, it's dirty. You, can't, you don't feel you can get much dirtier, so who cares? But if I have a beautiful shirt, I'm wearing a tuxedo, beautiful, expensive, gewaldic, right? Now you make a little stain on it, I'm very upset, I'm very makbit. This is also true in life. If I feel like I'm already a dirty, filthy, worthless shmata, so I'll be a little more dirty. I give up on myself. So therefore I become actually vulnerable to every shtus in the world. But there's even a simpler reason why atzvus comes from the Yetzirah. Because when a person is depressed, we need to feel needed in life, and we need, a, we need stimulation in life. I'm going to look for anything to give me stimulation. Even if it's unhealthy, even if it's toxic, even if it's addictive, even if it's destructive, I'm desperate. So I'm giving you an example. So this is really also a form of gasos. Why? Why? How could how could you relate gasos to depression, arrogance to depression? Because as we explained, what type of arrogance are we talking about here? We're talking here about the fake self confidence that comes from the fact that you're not connected to your own source, and because you're not connected to your own source, therefore you're vulnerable for depression also. You're vulnerable for depression. There's a beautiful word they used to say by Hasidim. That there's two types of people. And they both make cheshben hanefesh of where they're holding in life. One person examines their whole life and uh, they look at everything and they say, uh, you know, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. I made this mistake, I have this issue, I have this. Bottom line is, I should be depressed. That's the that's the sachak. 
Another person, you know, <coughs> takes the checks and balances and they make a whole sechajbun. This is great, and I'm really awesome, and this, and this is wonderful, and, and I did this right, and this right, sachakal, I should be happy. They said as follows. It could be that the first person, his entire cheshbon could be on the mark. Could be everything is right. But his sachakal is dead wrong. The other person could be his entire cheshbon is wrong, but his sachakal is right. <laughs> his sachakal is right. The sachakal, the summation, the sum total, I should be happy is right. The first person could be his cheshbon is much more honest. He's more real, he's more sensitive, he's more perceptive. He got it all right about himself. But his sachakal was wrong. Sachakal was wrong. So the nekuda is v'loy sechalalu. Don't make a chalal. What's pshat? Don't make a chalal. Don't believe ever that there's a space where I am not there. Where Hashem is not there. And that's what gasus comes from. Gasus comes from, because right now I'm not in a relationship with you. I'm not in a relationship with you. I need to replace the detachment, the void, with a form of self-importance. Exaggerated self-importance. I don't see myself in a balanced way. I don't see myself in the context of reality. And whenever I don't see myself in the context of reality, I become either too big or too small, and it's really the same thing. I am not placing myself in the right place. Why am I not placing myself in the right place? Because I created a chalo. I created an empty space where Hashem is not present in my perception, in my imagination, and therefore I have to substitute it. So either I become very, very small, or I become very, very big, and it's both exaggerated. It's both dramatized. This is gasos. This is v'loy sechalalu Hashem kachi. The concept of chilul, of an empty space. Second line on page 30, you see in Bamidbar. This is what the Gemara says in Eiru v'indafnon dalad amed alev. Yimei simadam atzmei kemidbar. Shahakal doshin bai. The Torah says... The Gemara says in Mesech Te'erivin that the Torah is given b'matana. Why was the Torah given in the Midbar? Why was the Torah given in the desert? Some mud in a place to get married. You want to know if Matan Torah was uh, the Erisin, it was the Kedushin between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Knesset Yisrael, right? Some should have taken a five-star hotel, the, the, the Hilton Hotel in Cairo, maybe. Well, I don't know if it was usable after the Ten Makas. But take up like a Shmaka place, place of civilization, at least a place of beautiful nature and landscape, you could do it outdoors, and marry them, get married. But this is Mamish in a Midbar, a place of a desert. So there's different reasons that Chazal give why Hashem felt that this is the best place for Matan One of the reasons is the Masech Te'edavim. The Gemara says, why Dafke in a Midbar? To teach us a lesson. And what's the lessons of the Gemara? If somebody places himself like a midbar, like a desert, everybody steps there. Like we said, everybody just steps on the desert, it's just earth, and people just step on it. Rashi says, everybody steps on you. But he steps on you doesn't mean you turn yourself into a doormat and say, step, step, step on me. He doesn't have arrogance. Then nitna loy b'matana. The Torah is given to b'matana. Kemaimer. This is what we say at the end of Shemini Esra. It's also from Masech the Brachas. Daf Yudzayin. V'nafshi ka'afor la'kaltiyah v'azay davke p'sachlim b'seresach. As I mentioned earlier, my soul should be like offer to everybody, and then p'sachlim b'seresach. Right after that, what's the connection between the two? Because for for you to open up my heart 
my heart should be completely open to your Torah, is v'nafshi kafala kaltiya. Because by definition, Torah is infinite. Torah is divine. The divine is infinite, it's transcendent. So therefore, al-piteva, a person can't really grasp Torah. Because how can a human mind, which is mortal and finite, grasp the infinite? I can't expect a seven-ounce cup to be able to contain a hundred ounces of liquid. It's going to overflow, unless the walls of the cup break down. So this is even a hundred ounces. Now you want me to grasp which is infinite? So by definition, Torah should have been unfathomable. Nonetheless, we tell Hashem for me to be able to experience your Torah, the divine in Torah, I have to be able to be open. I have to be able to extricate myself from my defense mechanisms. I have to be able to be open to that which is beyond. What is that? That's the bakasha, that a person should be able to experience that humility so that they should be able to rise above their limitations. They should be able to rise above the boundaries. They should be able to experience far more, not far less. So they're not... Shouldn't be like all enough, it shouldn't be open to everything. It should be open specifically. No, but nafshi ka offer la kaltiya. Like all means that the nefesh is open to anything that'll come into it. I mean, you're, you're very, being very specific with what you want to open your nefesh to. You want to open to the godliness, not to every narish guy. Right, no. So la kol, notice the word la kol. The offer is la kol. What do we mean? The offer, the, what do, the offer, the offer is la kaltiya. I want to read you the Lashon. Is there a set of Gemara there? In the, is there a... Uh, uh, can you bring me a Masech to Brachas, you mind? I just want to read you the Lashon of Taisvus. It's a very interesting Lashon. You see a Brachas if there is? Thank you. I mentioned to you that Taisvus asks the question, Elekainetzar comes from the Gemara in Brachas. I think it's Afid Zion, it should be. Yeah, Mar Bereid Rabbeinu, when he finished Davidic Shmanesh, he used to say, The whole Nusach that we say is an addition, it's not part of Shmanesh, it comes from the Gemara and Brachas. So Taisva says, What's Venavshi Kafal Akaltiya? It's a Madna Bakasha, right? Just like offer can never be destroyed, right? That's what you're asking. It's not stam. I should be like offer. Offer. Taisvus says, "Ain't a makabel kliya la'olam." Very powerful words. It cannot be makabel kliya. It could never be destroyed. It can't be exterminated because it's offer. So, what is really v'nafshi kafal akaltiya? V'nafshi kafal akaltiya means I should be able to recognize that my soul is ain't a makabel kliya la'olam. I should be able to recognize how deeply connected I am to the source of life, and therefore I'm indestructible. That's what the Bakash is. When a person has that internal confidence, that unwavering dignity, that comes from the fact that you realize that your soul could never be destroyed. In other words, there's a part of you that's invincible. When you realize your invincibility in terms of your soul, it's not exaggerated invincibility of a little Napoleon who thinks... He's going to start up with every monarch in the world and reign over everybody until he'll make one fatal mistake and find out that you know even Napoleon can get defeated. Right? This is all a form of Gasa Saruach. We're talking here about invincible because 
of your humility. The invincibility produces more humility, and the humility produces invincibility because you're connected to the source of life. And because you're connected to the source of life, so there's a part of you that has absolute dignity, so therefore nothing can destroy it. So you could step on me, and the offer doesn't have to go to therapy because somebody stepped on it. There's no, you never see by the therapist the offer, and the offer is saying, you know how many times I've been stepped on in life? In yeshiva, everybody stepped on me. All they do is step on me. Anybody ever looks at me and says, what's going on? How are you doing? You have an opinion? What opinion? What's opinion? All there with their boots and their sneakers and their shoes. Trach, 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 trach. They don't even think twice. They don't even notice me. They don't even notice their stepping, which is worse. I'm not even an issue, Bechlam. The offer is fine. It's it's licked. I'm good. The offer looks at it's your problem. It's not my problem. I don't have an issue. The offer doesn't have an issue. And this is lakoil. Lakoil means anybody. You understand? Anybody. It's not a, not a difference. It's not like if a guy who's worth $18 steps on me, no big deal. But if a guy who's worth $2.5 billion tells me something, oh, ho, 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 now I'm destroyed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Why? Because there's a dignity that comes from your essence. Because it comes from your essence, so therefore the compliment doesn't create me and the criticism doesn't destroy me. This doesn't mean I shouldn't learn from constructive criticism. Of course I shouldn't. There's an expression, Cherish constructive criticism, it will raise you to the greatest heights. Constructive criticism is what raises a person. If, If you only surround yourself with yes sayers, there's no growth, there's stagnation, there's smugness. That's also part of being humble, that's part of being offer. But it allows you to grow because I can only grow from criticism if I don't feel the criticism is destroying me. If I feel it's destroying me, I can't grow from it because I become essentially defensive, consciously and even more unconsciously. So you're my enemy, so how can I grow from it? The only way is if I could be present in criticism. How can I be present? How can you be present in criticism? Look somebody in the eyes and take it and not start thinking of how to get out of it and how to excuse and how to defend yourself and how to get back, etc. It's only when you have that confidence that the offer represents. So is the Because when you have that, you can actually be open to truths that are higher than you and you can even be open to infinity. Because you have the humility, you're not stuck up, you're not defensive. When you're really confident, you can open yourself up to things outside of you. When you're not, you always have to protect yourself because you're extremely invincible. You can only surround yourself with certain situations and you close yourself off to the gifts of life. You close yourself off to new vibrations that may threaten you. So allows the That's why the Torah was given in a midbar shahakal doshin by everybody steps there. Everybody steps on it. And that's the person who can experience Torah. That's why it was given in a Harsinai. It is humble. The other mountains, Tover, Hermon, and Carmel, are very tall mountains. What do they represent in human emotion? They represent a sense of exaggerated self-inflation. The Nahar Sinai, which is lower, it's humble, represents shiftless, it represents an honest self-reflection where the person is not obsessed with themselves. And the reason they don't have to be obsessed with themselves is because they're connected to their source, they align themselves with their source, which is what we call bittel. Bittel means you realize who you are in truth, you're part of God, you're part of Hashem, and therefore the person 
immediately understands their greatness and therefore also understands their humility. And the two work, the two work, uh, work together. So this is why the title was given on Harsinai. But this is, this gives room for a new question. Why was there any mountain? If you're so lauding, if you're so complimenting and exalting the quality of shiflus, of humility, choose a valley, don't choose a mountain. You want to say that a person should not have this exaggerated sense of self-importance, which is coming from a pseudo-confidence, where you have to be better, where you have to be arrogant, so why using a mountain? You're using a smaller mountain. Don't use a mountain at all. He could have given the Torah on flatland, or even in a beacon, a valley. What's the point? It's also a mountain. which represents inflation. And here he comes to the second side of it. Even though every person has to be very humble, every person needs to feel power, empowered his chaskus, from the word chizuk, chazak, chazak. A person has to have his chaskus, has to feel empowered, uktsas hagba, and a sense of elevation, somewhat shenemar, commercial cause of the Pasuk says, vayig beliboy bedarkei Hashem. Vayig beliboy bedarkei Hashem is a Pasuk in divrei hayam and beis. He, his heart was, was uh, exalted in the ways of Hashem. Because if a person will not feel a sense of value, a sense of exaltedness, you know what Yerav Liboy means? His heart will not have the audacity to approach seriously, because he will say four words, four words, maybe the biggest Yetzirah of our generation. Who am I? And what is my service worth? I'm a nothing, and my avoid is nothing. And therefore I won't even begin. Because what is this, a joke? What am I mocking? What am I, a fool, an idiot, to think that God cares about what I do, what I don't do, it matters, it has significance, I'm shaykh to something. I'm an honest person, I'm not a delusional nut job who decided that he's an angel. I know the truth about myself. And therefore, it's precisely the perceptive person who is, who is capable of this question. Who am I? Who do I think I am? And what is my avayda? What does it amount to? What does it amount to? I think I mentioned once, uh, I once read, somebody sent me, there was a very famous Jewish actor. He won many awards. He's known as Zero Mustel. So uh, I always wondered this name Zero. It's not a, a, a normal name, Zero, right? Who named their son Zero? His name was not Zero Mustel. His name was Shmuel Yoel Mustel. Nobody knows that because it's not why he didn't look like a Shmuel Yoel, but that was his name. And he grew up in Brooklyn in a very, very observant family, one of eight children. And then he left the uh, family, he left Yiddishkeit completely. He became a world-renowned celebrity. And at some point, Shmuel Yoyal became Zero. So they once asked him, why did you change your name to Zero? You know what he said? 
He said, because my father would often tell me in Yiddish, Du bist a garnished, und du bist allemal sein a garnished. You're a nothing, you're a zero, and you will always remain a zero. So he says, I chose that name, Zero Mustal. So look what happened. He turned that name Zero into, he became pretty world-renowned. I think he died in the 80s or 90s. And uh, that's, he had a classic situation. You ever heard that expression, Bista Garnished? <laughs> also knows says that everyone's a zero until you put a one in front of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're not going to make your child feel special, somebody else will. A person cannot feel like a zero. It doesn't work. I cannot feel like, I, we cannot tolerate feeling like zeros. So if I'm not going to get the feeling that I'm not zero from people who matter in my life, I'm going to get it from somebody else. Somebody is going to make me feel not, not feel zero. And the question is who that somebody will be. Will it be the guy selling cocaine? Or will it be somebody else? But it's going to be, so will it be a certain website? But somebody is going to make me feel that I'm not zero, at least temporarily. So, if a person doesn't have a sense of self-importance, what type of self-importance? My decisions do matter. I am capable of something. It's not me or noichi. I'm nothing, I'm nothing. Don't go to two extremes. You're not everything, and you're not nothing. You know when a, a wife points out to her Jewish husband, of course, what he did wrong, so very often, or sometimes, present company excluded, a husband will tell his wife, I'm always wrong. I never get it right. You're always right and I'm always wrong. Of course I'm wrong. I'm horrible. I don't even know why you married me. Such an idiot, such a moron, such a shaita. What is he really saying when he says, I'm always wrong? What he's really saying is, I'm never wrong. You're crazy. I'm never wrong. You're just obsessive. I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong. I'm never right. He doesn't believe that. Right? It's not, it's not an authentic confession. It's not an authentic relationship. Any relationship is, I'm not always wrong. I'm sometimes very right. Today I was wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. That's it. Today I was wrong. I'm not always wrong. When it becomes I'm always wrong, then I'm not really facing myself honestly. And I go to one extreme or the other. Either I'm above normal or I'm below normal. And the two, come, the two are, are, are very much connected with each other. So you have here, like chemically, you know, there's the, the mania and there's depression, right? In, man, in, in, in bipolar order, there's the mania and there's depression. I'm talking now from a chemical point of view. What is that? It's two extremes. In mania, this person is, is Mashiach ben David, or at least Mashiach ben Yosef, right? Has grand, grand plans to, to conquer the whole world tomorrow, tomorrow. Wasn't I think somebody said from the Satmar Rebbe? One of them he says that today, uh, uh, he wants to know the whole Shas, but he wants to also sleep the night. He wants to learn Shas in one night and know it, but he also wants to sleep there. He wants to sleep that night too. Both. And then there is the other extreme I fall into the abyss. So here we're not talking chemically, because that, that's a whole separate issue. We're talking about the concept, the way it applies to a person's life. So this is a very common expression. So there's two extremes. One extreme is you become delusional. You decide that you're, uh, 
You know, sometimes Bachrim, youngsters, they read about G'dayli Yisrael and they decide they're going to emulate them, they're going to become, you know. Bachet came to me, he said, you know, he just he was in yeshiva and he decided that uh, he's going to be uh, going to be the next Rebbe Kiva Eger. And that's his expectation. And he really believes it. He's going to be Nachmer, he's going to be Rebbe Kiva, Rebbe Yechid Ben Zakai. The problem is, it works maybe for two and a half days in his imagination. He's walking in the street and he sees something and suddenly he gets triggered and he realizes he's not Rebbe Kiva Egen, he's not the Chafetz Chaim. And uh, it creates sometimes a tremendous nefila, a tremendous downfall in a person because he dismisses himself completely. So you go to the other extreme, I'm a worthless piece of junk. Or the person Taka remains in a delusional state and they don't look at themselves honestly. And both are not according to the Kavana, because the person is not honest with themselves. So that's why he says, Ktsas Hagba is so critical, that a person should never say, That Taina is a wrong Taina. Who am I, and what is my Avaida? That's not true. There needs to be Hagba Salev. Hagba Salev means an uplifted heart. You need a mountain. You have to be a mountain. You cannot be a valley and you cannot even be flat earth. A person has to have a sense of ambition, a sense of salib, an uplifted heart. And therefore I have chukka, I have desires, I have tzimoyin, I have thirst, I want to accomplish. This doesn't mean that this person becomes an arrogant person. The bittel has to be stronger. What's the bittel? The bittel is I remember that my koiches come from my source, my koiches come from Hashem. I remember that I'm always connected. On my own, if I detach myself, then it's takan miyanoichi. When I'm connected to my source, which is what bitl means, I align myself with my source, then I reflect greatness. Then there's tremendous greatness in me. The neshama is a chelik elikami mal. It's a piece of Hashem. What are you putting it down? And the concept of Torah and mitzvahs is that God cares about what you do. Your thoughts, words, and actions mean the world to Him. They mean the world. They mean beyond. They mean beyond. You see it even if I could say, I mean, maybe in a negative way, but you see it in the Teichicha. You read the Teichicha. Did you read the Teichicha this week? You learned the parsha this week? It's very, it's like, somebody once came to me, he was having struggles with Yiddishkeit. So he says, the Teichicha freaks him out. I say, what do you feel when you read it? He says, I want to tell God. These were his words. I want to tell God, chill out, relax. Relax. First of all, relax. So I told them, I want you to see the, in the depth of it. I'm not getting into the details of the Teich. is a hard parish. It's not a simple thing to understand. It's not partial. But I want you to understand one thing. Right after, what's right after the Teich? What's the, right after the Teich is Parshas Erkin. You know the Parsha's Erkin? It's a very interesting Parsha. What is it? Right after the time, immediately after. What's the Halacha? If I say, um, I want to give my value to the Beis HaMikdash, or I want to give your value to the Beis HaMikdash, I want to give my son's value to the Beis HaMikdash. Erki Alai, Erkecha Alai. There's a whole Masech, the Masech to Erkin. So the Torah specifies how much you give. So of course there's no value for a person. But the Torah gives basically generic values based on gender and based on age. It could be 50 shekel, 3 shekel, whatever it is. It's generic. It doesn't have to do if the man is a multi-billionaire or he sweeps the streets. 
the value is the same. Gender and age, that's what you have to give to the Beis HaMikdash. That's called Erkin, that's the Erech. And everyone has a value, whatever it is. Why is that right after the Tachicha? Right after the Tachicha, why is it? What's the connection? Tachicha is saying something very profound. What's the Tachicha really saying? Tachicha is really saying that God says to the Jew, I want you to understand who you are. The worst mistake you could make is to underestimate your power, not to appreciate your erech, your value. Don't think you're a small, valueless, insignificant creature whose decisions are ultimately meaningless. Imagine a little ant. Yeah, You have an ant, and you tell the ant, go right, and the ant goes left. So you say, I'm not going to give rain anymore. I'm not going to give grain. I'm not going to give produce. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your children. There's going to be wars. Why? Because the ant went left? What are you, joking? Now, let's face it. The, the relationship between a man and an ant are much closer than we and God. The ant is a little creature. We're small creatures. We're a little bigger. But we're both finite. And the ant has some stuff that are more brilliant than us. If you follow, if you study how ants work. Nonetheless, to say that a person should be affected by a decision of an ant is a little comical. Even a decision of a goldfish, a decision of a frog. And yet, the drama of creation and of Matan was that an infinite God chose to be in an intimate relationship with a mortal creature to the point that what you do and what you don't do doesn't only matter. It has cataclysmic it has a cataclysmic impact and effect on the past and on the present and on the future because you are basically the, the, the link that interlaces heaven and earth. Is there a word interlaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay, wonderful. You are the link that interlaces heaven and earth. You're the link that interlaces past, present, and future. You're the link. You stand at the vortex of the drama of existence. You're right there in the whirlwind and your thoughts, words, actions, behaviors individually and collectively ultimately are more significant and dramatic than you'll ever imagine. That's how you have to see it. So right after the Teichich says, remember this is all coming because you have an Erech, because you have a value. And because you have a value, there's consequences. Put it, put it, to give a very simple marshal, give a very simple marshal. When I was a bachelor, when I was a bachelor, let's call it a bachelor, I could, I could disappear from planet Earth for three weeks, and nobody would blink, maybe my, mo- my mother. But, uh, you know, Bachram disappear. You know, they decide to go to India. They decide to go to Israel. Tomorrow they're going to France. They're touring Europe. And nobody even knows where they are, right? Maybe you'll send a text to your mother so she should have uh, one less sleepless night. I mean, she's anyway having sleepless nights for you, so it'll be one less sleepless night. But let's say you're a married man. You're a married man. You have a wife. You have, Baruch Hashem, a few children. Maybe a lot of children. Can I inhara? And you decide, you know what, you need a little break. <laughs> so you book yourself a ticket to the Bahamas, or you book yourself a ticket to the Holy Land, or you book yourself a ticket to Paris, and you disappear for two and a half months. Right? How do you think your wife will react when you come back? Huh? <laughs> wow, you have a special wife. Yeah? It'll probably be like the Teichicha, right? The response will probably be like the Teichicha. Why? Why? The answer is Pashat. You, you're in a relationship. Your life affects people. 
There's people who are looking to you, they're dependent on you, they're part of you. I can't just disappear. The President of the United States of America, whoever he may be, we're not discussing him individually, if he disappears for three weeks, he's not a teenager who can just disappear. There's too much. He has the black box. He has the black box, the black suitcase. You can't just disappear into oblivion. You're the most powerful person in the world today. You, there's too much at stake in your existence for you to fall over the planet and just be in bed for three weeks and make believe you are nobody. What the Teichicha is saying is, that's what you have to realize about yourself. You cannot say that you're a nobody and therefore, I'll be in bed, I'll do this, I'll do that, who cares? I did this sin, I did that thing, I ate this, I behaved this way with my body, it's under my blanket, who cares what I do under my blanket? God says, don't look at yourself this way. You're the president, not of the United States, you're the president of the world. The fate of destiny depends on your soul, on your decisions. You're too big to make yourself so small. So in many ways, it really underscores the value, the erich of a person. The erich of a person. It's nice to tell a teenager, you could do whatever you want. But you know what it really means? It means you don't matter. That's what it means. You could do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. You're insignificant. So that really breeds depression. Uninhibited freedom breeds depression. Because why can I do whatever I want? It doesn't matter. As long as you don't hurt somebody, do I don't care. You, we don't care about you. You're just a random mistake in an infinite universe. So who cares what you do? <laughs> You're just another random mistake. You come and you go, I think you do whatever you want. I don't care. You want to be healthy, be healthy. You want to be sick, sick. You want to, what? No difference. Judaism doesn't see a person that way. Judaism sees a person as being a reflection of infinity and having infinite power. And therefore, his or her choices have a tremendous, tremendous significance. That's why Erkin comes right after Teichicha. says, don't take this rebuke because I hate you. Understand your value. Understand, if I could use simple English, but it's a word in the Webster Dictionary, that... Uh, when you guys don't get it together, when you guys abandon the covenant, basically, the cosmos starts falling apart. The heavens go crazy. The earth go cra- goes crazy. Nature goes crazy. There's too much at stake in your existence. I have invested everything in this relationship. I have invested everything in relationship. I am vulnerable, God says. I'm vulnerable in this relationship. It's really, the Teichich is really very vulnerable. Like how much you can affect Hashem. Really? We can affect it? How does that work? He chose to be vulnerable in the relationship. So that's the second chajbun. Humility. But don't, don't think humility means you're not a mountain. You have to have a sense of ambition, a sense of thirst. You have to recognize your power and your prowess. And the worst thing is to say, Mi anoichi umavidosi. Verbinich. And what's my avoider worth? I'm a nothing and my avoiders are nothing. The beginning of Avodah Hashem is predicated on the prerequisite and the premise that a person has tremendous value, tremendous potential. A person's identity is significant. There's a lot at stake in me. And my Avodah Hashem is powerful. Not because I don't make mistakes and not because I don't have what to repent on. That's not what we're not talking about delusional. You're not a tall mountain. Harsinai, proportion, humility. But don't turn yourself into a valley or flat earth. That's a chilek of Matan We'll continue in Ritz Hashem on Monday morning. Have a wonderful Shabbos.
Okay, you see page 30. Bamidbar. You see Bamidbar, page 30. Tesvav, column 3. Yeah, every Chumash, the, the page numbers start over again. So there's a lot of 30s. So you need Bamidbar, 30. So in summation, we know that Chazal teach us that Torah was given on Har Sinai versus other mountains, which many of them came pleading their case that they want to have Torah being given on them. The mountain known as Har Tover, the mountain known as Har Carmel, the mountain known as Har Chermon. All of them came saying, we want the Torah to be given on us. Hashem, Chazal tell us, Says Lama Teratzdun Horim Gavnunim. He chose Dafka Har Sinai, Habuz Legeyonim. He disgraces the arrogant. He chose Har Sinai, which was the humble mountain, which didn't even have Ahava Minna to come and claim its rights to get the Torah because of the unique virtue of humility. It's brought in Svarim, Madrishmol, and others. It says Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. And the obvious question is, it's all with names. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai, gave it to Yeshua, Yeshua Haskenim, so it should have said, Moshe Kibbal Torah, Mea Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why is it that in that point, at the beginning, it's Moshe Kibbal Misinai? He didn't get it from the mountain. He got it on the mountain from the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. It's a little strange. You're not going to say Yeshua Masra, right, to the base Medrash. One of the base Medrash was to the Skeinim in the base Medrash. So it's brought in Svarim that Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai, before all the names, Moshe learned how to accept Torah from Sinai. Now the Mishnah is not just giving us a chronological order, that comes later. The first Yisoyed is Moshe Kibbal Torah. He learned how to receive Torah Misinai, and that became the Yisoyed of how Yeshua gives it over to the Skenim and the Skenim to the Nevi'im. How Kabbalah Satayda happens from Sinai. He learned from the qualities of Sinai how you have to be Makabal Torah. What was the quality of Sinai? The concept of humility. But here is the important Chiddush of this Maim. That everybody knows Sinai is humble. So the question is you want humility? Get rid of the mountain at all. We don't need mountains. We could use flat land. There's even more humble, like the flat matzah. You don't want them? Don't know the mountain. Chometz is a mountain, right? It's inflated. It's a blast from zich. It's all over the place. Tall and big and arrogant. Give me a matzah. Give me a flat shmura matzah. As flat as possible, very thin. Or, even better, give me a bika. Give me a valley. Feltes valleys. Eretz harim of kayas. Mountains and valleys, find a valley. So not only you're flat, you're extra humble. You're indented. No protrusion at all, to the contrary. So this is what the Maimah says, that no. That despite the fact that Gasus is really the Shoyrish of Ra, but nonetheless there's a tremendous Yisoy that's, been, that's, that's, that's being expressed here. So let's see again the summation here, the few lines, we'll start Avala Inyan. We learned a few lines, I'll repeat. Avala Inyan. You see page 30, by Midbar, the line starts, I'll call upon 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Seven lines from the top. It's true, a person 
ought to be very humble. Every person needs empowerment and be uplifted. Your heart must be tall, uplifted, exalted in the ways of Hashem. If a person doesn't feel a sense of elevation, of self-elevation, his heart will not have the audaciousness, the chutzpah, so to speak, to come close to, he's going to tell himself that it's chutzpah, to come close to Avodah Hashem, but Amr is going to say those few, four words, Who am I, and what does my Avodah amount to? Is it worth anything? And this sense of becomes another source of tremendous ra. So when a person starts believing, I am worthless, who am I? And sometimes we don't say it about ourselves, we say it about somebody else. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? And what do you think your avoida amounts to? And it's a cheshben. It's a real cheshben by a person because a person knows himself or knows herself. And a person knows their avoida. And a person often knows how their avoida is fraught with so much psoilus inside, with so much um, huh? sediments or... or, or uh, or bran, or, or filth, or undesirable undesirable entities. So therefore it's very easy to delegitimize and disqualify your identity and your avoida. That's two things. Mi anoichi or ma'avoidasi. Mi anoichi is character assassination. Ma'avoidasi is avoida assassination. One is the gavra and one is the chefza. And both are the yetzahara. One eliminates the person. Who do you think you are? And... The second thing is, and what do you think your avoid is? It's worthless, it doesn't mean anything. So a person must have an uplifted heart. Your heart has to feel exalted. Your heart has to feel dignity. A person has to have a certain sense of appreciation of the value of their existence and their identity and the value of their contribution. The value of their contribution. This explains the B'derech Agav, a very interesting and strange mitzvah. In Parshas Kisisa, Hashem tells Moshe to count the Jewish people. So he says, In order to avoid a plague when you count the Jewish people, what do you do? Everybody should give a half a shekel and you count the coins, you don't count the people. We know in Tanakh, David HaMelech, felt that this mitzvah didn't apply to his day, and David HaMelech made a census of Klai Yisrael. His nephew, the commander-in-chief, Yoyov, the son of Tzruya, was David's sister's son. Tzruya was David HaMelech's sister. Told the king, you're doing the wrong thing. And David didn't listen to him, and David made a census. And it had a devastating, catastrophic result. And David was one of the things he was repenting for most of his life. David HaMelech. Now you think about it, it's a very strange mitzvah. What do you care? What, what's the difference if you count people or you count coins? What's the difference? It's Jews together. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You take a normal sense. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. They have to give and you count what they give. What's, what's, what's the difference? Who, who are you fooling? You know, you come with the children. Or somebody once said, Chosa has ten words. 
he was thinking about breakfast, so he had to count for the minion. He was counting on Maitzilach. Depends what you're thinking about. Hashia, Samecha, Varech, Nasech is one way to count. Another way to count on Maitzilach and Menard. It's both ten. Brought in Shulchan Aruch, Shabbos by Lechem Mishnah, you put both hands on the bread because they have ten fingers. Baruch Hashem, Lechem Aruch, Lechem Aruch has ten. Right? Baruch Hashem, Lechem Aruch, Lechem Aruch, Lechem Aruch. Yeah. It has ten. <laughs> Sometimes it helps counting. One of the Ramazim, one of the Ramazim here is based based on this idea. It's a, v- a very powerful idea. And this has to do with Jewish history, and it's a very important meditation on Jewish history. Generally, why do nations take a census? Why do you count? A census is important to establish the resources of the nation, of the people, and the power of the people. You have a large nation, of course, you can have a greater military. You can have a greater force. You have more labor, you have more productivity, you have more talent, you have more resources. That's why a census is so important for a nation, for, for a community, for a city, etc. For, planning. Huh? Planning. for planning, and also it demonstrates, it demonstrates power. When you look at the Jewish people, as Hashem already told Moshe Rabbeinu three and a half thousand years ago, Ki atem ha-ma'at you're the smallest of all the nations. And this remains a truth in Jewish existence. Ad We do not constitute even one quarter of one percent of humanity. Not only one percent. We're not even one quarter of one percent. It's probably around 0.8 of one percent, if I'm not mistaken. Around there. You have 14, 15, 16 million Jews. Maybe a little more, a little less. It's not even a quarter of 1% of the rest of humanity. Basically, the number of Jews, as somebody once said, is a statistical error in a Chinese census. Okay, think about that. <laughs> it's 15 million. And as I'm talking, there's another 15 million Chinese within the last few hours, probably. And we're trying, we're trying to, we're fighting for every Jew, you know? Fighting, Mamish, <laughs> for every Jew. And this, is, this has been the story of the Jewish people. It's been the story. Never constituted more than uh, 1%. Maybe sometimes it was more, a little less. Usually much, much less. Today, even before the war, before the Second World War, where a third of the Jewish people were wiped out, small numbers. When you look at the Jewish people, Hashem says you can get depressed. Jews can get depressed. Comparing themselves to other nations and empires, you get depressed. Because if numbers demonstrate power, and that's why you take a census, here you demonstrate your weakness, how small you are. Says Hashem, never count Jews. If you're going to count Jews, you're going to get into a depression. Zayitnu! You have to count what they give. You have to count their contributions. Don't look at them. Look at what they give. Zayitnu. Count the coins that they give. You want to understand the Jewish people? <clears throat> Don't look at the Jews. Look at their contributions. If you start counting the people themselves, very small people, and when you start looking individually, it's also hard to understand. But somehow, collectively, they don't play little league. They play big league, and their contributions have been monumental. The most defining contributions to the fine civilization have been made by the Jewish people. But it's also true individually. When you look at yourself, you could sometimes get into a very, uh, you can get into a bad mood. 
Zayitno, you have to be able to look at what you're capable of giving. Generally, when people give, then look at yourself, you'll see yourself in a new way. Zayitno, look at what you give. They say that's one, somebody asked of Moshe Montefiore. <coughs> Moshe Montefiore is one of the wealthiest Jews in Britain. And they called him Sir Montefiore. It also helped that he married a Rothschild. It doesn't hurt. I think Montefiore married a Rothschild. So he was a tremendous Askin, tremendous Askin. He lived in the 1800s. Tremendous Askin, tremendous philanthropist. So somebody once asked him, well, it's Eltman, how much, how much are you worth this year? So Moshe Montefiore gave a number that he was worth. So the man says, you're rich and you're a liar. I know you're at least worth ten times that amount. So Moshe Montefiore says, I'm not lying. He says, that's all the money you have this year? He says, no, I have much more money. So why do you give me this number? He said, you didn't ask me how much I own this year. You asked me how much I'm worth. If you would have asked me how much I own this year, I would have given you another number. You asked me how much I'm worth. I told you the number that I gave away for stock. Because a person is worth that which he's ready to share with others. What you have is what you have. What are you worth? You're worth that which you're ready to share with others. So Hashem says, So it's easy to look at a person and say two things. Who am I and what is my avayda? Because you know yourself. You know yourself better than everybody. Other people might still be impressed by the, by the mask, you know, by your camouflage, by all the masks that we wear. But you, hopefully, you don't believe your own masks, right? There's a pchin of somebody who lies, then there's a pchin of somebody who believes his own lies. That's already a different madrigi. He's not lying, he just believes it. He really believes it. So if you believe your own masks, fine. But somebody who doesn't, he says, So that's why Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, we have to give the Torah on Har Sinai. Humility is critical, but don't think humility means that you become flat in your own perception, you become a valley in your own perception, because then it can breed a sense of worthlessness, insignificance of your identity, insignificance of your avoida. And the prerequisite for avoida Hashem means, I matter. I matter, and my avoida matters. There's a beautiful word from Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Lublin, in Sitka Satzadik, I think, Ois Kufnun Vav. Reb Tzadik says, it's just a very daring expression. I quote, almost verbatim, just like it's a mitzvah for a person to believe in Hashem's existence, afterwards he also has to believe in his own existence. And he says to believe that he matters and his avoid is significant, and he's not just a valueless, random, mistaken creature who's here one day and gone another day, and it's all worthless and meaningless. Why is that so important? It's so important because without that, the human being can completely lose his relationship with himself and therefore his relationship with Hashem. So that's what the Kudah. He won't even start the Avaidah. He'll just knock himself off. He'll cut himself down. And this is a very, very big, big, big challenge. Sometimes we give Musr to people, right? We give Musr to people. And our objective may be noble, but we don't realize that they're not capable of hearing Musr because they're not hearing Musr. What they're hearing is that they're worthless. And if Musr means you're worthless, it's not Musr anymore. It's destruction. Don't call it Musr. If the message the person is getting is, you're a bad person, you're worthless, God hates you, and certainly I hate you, and, uh, and everybody else hates you, but even if we don't say it those words, but the per- message the person is getting is, you're hopeless, you're, 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 
you know, sometimes people will speak to Bachram, to students, and they'll say, you know, in my days, in yeshiva, it used to be, but now, feh. Now, first of all, we know what it used to be like in your days in yeshiva. Probably much worse. But uh, people romanticize before the war. Before the war, it used to be what happened before the war. There were great people, and there were other types of people. It's not, uh, the Eitzahara was always around. But it's always easy to become nostalgic. As somebody once told me, eh, nostalgia is not today what it used to be like. Right? Even nostalgia is not what it used to be like. So, if, if your objective is to build, to rehabilitate Hadarab, <coughs> but if what the person is hearing is, we're so bad, we're in the worst generation, everything is bad, there's nobody who cares, everyone is false, and I, what are you doing? What are you doing? Basically, that's kfira. What you're telling people is that Matan Torah is not real today. God is not real today. Everything is just nostalgia of what it used to be. The whole Judaism is remembering a time where there used to be inspiration. That's, that's, that's the whole Nekuda, that's what the Baal Shem was trying to do, is that things are happening right now. Everything happens right now. Relationships happen now. Life happens now. Yiddishkeit happens now. You take inspiration from the past, but you don't live in the past. You live in the present. You don't live in the past. If God exists, so then He's here. Baruch means today. It doesn't mean last year. It doesn't mean 100 years ago. It doesn't mean 3,000 years ago. It means today. So therefore, this is a big yesoid. If, the, if you're putting, if you're giving a person criticism, but they're not feeling like a mountain in the midst of the criticism, it's not going to work. They're not going to get Torah. Torah can only be given on a har. Har sina, yeah. We're not talking a mountain where you become a delusional, arrogant person faking on arrogance because you're detached from your source. That's, that's what we spoke earlier about gasos. But Torah has to be given with humility. What type of humility? Humility is that the person ultimately feels they're on a mountain. They are a mountain. What do you mean they're a mountain? They're elevated. They're uplifted. They're not filth, garbage that has to be degraded and dejected. That's not going to bring them to Torah. That's just going to make them feel, Fakert, I have no shaykhs to Torah. Once you feel you have no shaykhs to Torah, now you open up a box of worms. Because a person feels they have no shaykhs, so first of all, they have a void that they have to fill. And the moment you have a void they have to fill, as I said, you'll fill it with anything that comes your way. And number two, the moment that you have a, uh, a void, you feel it doesn't matter. So then things don't matter, and when things don't matter, everything goes. Okay, this is, I think, a very, very uh, relevant message. Well, always a relevant message, certainly today also. A person needs shuka. A person needs thirst. Thirst and shuka means, shuka is ambition. Ambition means I'm here today, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to be here next year. If I'm a worthless shmata, there's no shuka. Tzimoyen means I yearn, I aspire. I'm capable of something. <laughs> the bitl, however, has to be much more. What does he mean? In other words, we're talking here a type of self-exaltedness that shouldn't breed an arrogance. It's coupled with a very deep, profound bitl, which is a loyalty, a dedication, a humility, a surrender to Hashem. A beautiful word that Rabbi Yosheh Bersalavechik once said in Adrasha, Gewaldik Avart, that uh, in Yiddish there's something called vidui, confession. Everybody knows what vidui is, Ashamnu, Alchait, Yom Kippur's Lizvadis. There's one more vidui in Judaism. It's a very strange vidui. 
It's called Vidui Meiser. It's a Parshas Kisova. Vidui Meiser happens on the fourth year of the Shemitah cycle, Pesach. Basically, you have to get up and you have to say a Nusach that says in Parshas Kisova. It's called Vidui Meiser, Confession of Meiser. You tell the Rebbeinu Shalom, Bi'arti HaKodesh Menabayis. All the truma, all the stocker that I had in my house, I desig- I, I, put, I placed them where they belong. A Basically, you're telling Hashem, all these years, the grain, the produce, the fruits, the vegetables, I gave away all the trumas, the maestros, the bikurim, whatever, I had to go to the koyin, to the levi, to the poor, to the widow, to the orphan, to the convert. I did everything you wanted. I forgot nothing. Now bless me. So the Sepharna, everybody asked the question, why are you calling it vidui? Why are you calling it confession? Call it whatever you want, but don't call it confession. Imagine you come home tonight to your wife and you say, you know, I have a confession to make. So she gets very excited, you know, women get, wow, finally after 29 years, he's going to say something normal, take accountability. She says, what's your confession? You know, her ears perk up. She puts down the phone. Say, my confession is, I want to tell you that I am the most amazing husband in the world. I ne- I don't make mistakes. I am the most incredible father. I am impeccable. I am flawless. I don't even forget things. Not for sure. Not amazing. I'm amazing. And now, shouldn't you give me a delicious dinner? Now, I'm not discussing if you're normal or not normal. You'll discuss that with your therapist. But a confession, it's not. <laughs> confession it's not maybe it's a good thing to do I don't know I don't mix into local politics but it's not a confession that's what are you doing it's one time you get up to Hashem you say I did everything right now bless me why are you calling it vidui he said because we look at vidui I'm confessing my wrongdoing. He said, no, that's the second half of Vidui. The first half of Vidui is to appreciate your infinite power, your infinite potential, how good you are, to appreciate your possibilities, to be able to say, there's so much right about me, and therefore I am upset when there's something wrong about me. Because if a person doesn't have that appreciation of their infinite value, ultimately the confession of their mistakes will not be able to materialize. For a few reasons. Number one, if I think that I'm lowly, so I'm anyway dirty, so I have a little more dirt, big deal. Dirt attracts dirt. I'm not going to confess. Because I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Like I told you, my shirt is my shirt is full of ice cream, so pour a little more ice cream. What do I care? I smell anyway. I'll smell a little more. I'm not, it doesn't bother me doesn't bother me. I'm a behemagas, I'm a grub, I'll be a little more grub. As somebody, I'm burning anyway, I'll be a little more. What's the difference? That's number one. Number two, this is maybe even more important. If I'm so lowly, can I really take responsibility for my life? To take responsibility for your life means you're in control of your life. It means you believe that you're the master of your life. It means you believe in your power. If I believe I'm a powerless, hopeless, despaired person, it's not my fault. It's your fault. 
It's my parents, it's my siblings, it's my community, it's my rabbi, it's, it's the school, it's the, it's the kehillah, it's this man, that man, everything but me. I can't confess. Confession means I am responsible, not you, I. That means I have power, I have control. It could have been differently. For that you have to believe in yourself. Furthermore, you have to also believe that you could change your future. Tomorrow I could do it differently. So he says, Vidui, Tshuva, depends on Vidui Maiser. Only if you can appreciate and say, there's so much good. Now, in that context, can you criticize yourself? But if you're criticizing yourself outside of the context of who you are essentially and potentially, it's not productive. You typhus? Which marshal? Why is the same thing? I told you once, a person who comes to his wife who criticizes says, I'm always wrong, I'm never right. What is he really saying? He's saying the exact opposite. Doesn't mean it. He's not confessing. He's saying, I could never get anything right. Confession means, I'm often right. Today I was wrong. <laughs> no, no, that's the Yisoyed. I'm always wrong. I'm a piece of garbage. You're not even confessing. If you really believe that the person thinks you're a piece of garbage, or you certainly, if you think so, there's no confession. You cut off the relationship. So vidui is based on a yisoid of the value of the person. Always. The shleimus, the, how much koyach there is in a person. It's not mi anoichi umavaydasi. And if I am not feeling that mountain, a humble mountain, I cannot be makabal teira. Moshe kibal teira, misina. Further, saying the humility of Sinai is a false humility if it doesn't have, in other words, it wouldn't be the Anivas of Sinai. Right. 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 There was a Yid of Machutna, his name was Rabbi Avram Hecht. He was a rabbi in a Syrian shul in Flatbush for many years, the head of Igud Rabbonim, the president of Igud Rabbonim. He passed away a few years ago. Rabbi Avram Doiv Hecht from the Hecht family of Askonim. I once heard from him that the Rayatz was the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz, the base of Yitzchak, once asked him in the 40s to go speak somewhere. But Yiddishkan, he says, it's not Shaykh to me, I don't want. So he told him, Anivas Shaloi Bim Kaima, Yisaydasa Gaiva. You hear? Misplaced humility is rooted in arrogance. Why? <laughs> Misplaced humility is rooted in arrogance. It's a form of arrogance. Fighter. This is the Pshad, the Pasik says, Vyosfu Anovim Bahashem Simcha. This is the Pshat in the Pasik. Literally, what does it mean? It means Pasik in Yeshaya Pedik Khaftes. Humble people will increase their Simcha in Hashem. What's the connection between Anava and Simcha? Humble people, Anavim, will increase more Simcha with Hashem. maybe. We understand Anava, you're downtrodden, right? So why are they happier? Is a humble person happier than not a humble person or not to it? 
Depends how you touch humility. If you touch humility, I'm a shmata, I'm nothing, step on me. I'm not happier. On the contrary. Here it means that a novim is something that brings to simcha. What is simcha? Three words. What is simcha? One of the hard things to define. What does it mean you're a happy person? He says three things. The soul is empowered and uplifted. That's simcha. In other words, simcha is not an emotion in its own, in and of itself. And depression is not an emotion in and of itself. Simcha opens up all emotions, and depression closes off all emotions. Simcha basically is an essential state where you feel empowered in your soul, and your soul is uplifted. Automatically, when your soul is uplifted and empowered, automatically you'll feel. (laughs) Automatically you're open to things. When the soul is weak and downtrodden, that's the opposite of simcha. So you're closed up. That's simcha. But this simcha, this empowerment, this hagbah comes from precisely from humility, from anav and shiflus. As is explained by this author himself in his Tanya, it's called Sefer Shalbenim, at the end of chapter 34, what he explains that sometimes you have a person who may have things in him that are very lowly. So what, he's, he's in denial, he's naive. He says, no, a person always has to differentiate and say, there may be aspects in me that need a lot of help and need a lot of tikkun. But it doesn't take away the fact that a person has always a divine consciousness and God's spark that's in it. And therefore, the person always has to be able to treat that with unwavering dignity and have a sense of upliftedness and simch. And on the contrary, when you have that, then you could fix those things that need fixing, those things that need repair. Because if I don't have that as a context... So then my whole mitzias is just one big, evil, dark bubble. It's a black hole. So, so it's hopeless. So therefore, even if a person is very honest and is very introspective, there's always a nekud of, of simcha. And that brings humility. Why does that bring humility? This is, a, this is a simcha that comes from humility, and it's a humility that comes from simcha. It's a simcha that comes from humility because this is a dignity that comes from realizing your connection to God. So it's a simcha that comes from humility, from anav, and not from arrogance. It's a simcha that doesn't come from a fake arrogance. It comes from the sense that you realize how close you are to your source, and therefore, no matter where you are, you may have issues in your belief of God. Perhaps, you may not even believe in God, but even at that moment, God believes in you. That's what you always have to know. And therefore... There's something in you that is not only redeemable, but is beautiful, is perfect, is impeccable, is flawless, under all circumstances. That's the simcha that comes from a humility, and that simcha breeds humility. It doesn't breed arrogance. The other rabbi, on the contrary, it works even the other way. When a person realizes their lowliness, which may be genuine, there'll be more simcha 
when they learn Torah even more and they realize the, the opportunity to be able to connect despite everything. Now this is very deep. In other words, when a person realizes that in their filthy state they can have intimacy with the king, the intimacy is cherished so much more. But they have to realize that they can have intimacy with the king. The problem is that what we do is we delegitimize our Torah. He says, Fakert, if you say you're so lowly, wow, and this lowly man, God says, now I want to be with you. In your, wow, I want to be with you right now. Problem is you don't believe that. He doesn't want to be with me. Of course he doesn't want to be with me. So you just dismiss your whole Torah. He says, Fakert, your simchen Torah will be kafal and mechupo. The Chayz of Lublin once said, we say by Maidiv, the holy seer of Lublin, Rakev Yitzchak Horowitz, Take away the satan from in front of me and in back of, back of me. He says, I understand the satan in front of me. There's always the satan. Come, come, let's go. Who's the satan in back of you? So the satan in back of you is after you sin. Not before you sin. After you sin, he stands in back of you and he tells you how horrible you are. And in many ways, that satan is worse than the satan who stands ahead of you. Because the satan who leads you to sin... For that is a tikkun, it's called tshuva. But for the satan who stands behind the sin and says, oh, you're such a terrible person, for that is no tshuva. Because that is not tshuva on a sin. That's tshuva on the guilt of the sin. You don't think you need tshuva for that. Fakert, you think that that's coming from spiritual sensitivity. We feel that guilt, Jews feel that guilt comes from spiritual sensitivity. Really, it's a tzasayetze. It's just to schlep you down. Guilt is not tshuva. Guilt is obsession. Tshuva means fix what you have to fix and start dancing. But, uh, but, uh, but, but Acharenu says you're such a horrible person. You think God wants you after everything you have done? You know yourself. So the Chiddush is that right now your Torah is an Indian of Dvekas. So Fakert, the more lowly, the more Simcha, the opportunity right now to connect and, and extricate yourself. That's why precisely the humble person will have more Simcha. The humble person will have much more simcha than anybody else. Because for the arrogant person, it's actually hard to have simcha. He's not really comfortable with himself. His nefesh is not really uplifted. It's disguised. That's why he has to be arrogant. The anav who's really connected with his source, he can have real simcha. That's also the term har sinai. Sinai, the Gemara says in Shabbos, comes from the word sinah. What's sinah? So the Gemara says they had created anti-Semitism. Har Sinai, the origin of all hatred to the Jews is Har Sinai. He teaches Yalpi Chassidus, it's the Har Sheyar the Sinah Midas Harayas. The Har that creates sinah, hatred, to the negativity, to the Midas Harayas in a person. Al Derech Lo'olam Yargiz Adam Yetzer Toiv Al Yetzer Hara. V'roi Gezel Gamken Hagbav Isnasas Al Yetzer Hara. This is an element of Harsina. It's also upliftedness. You have to become higher than Yetzirah. What's going to become higher than Yetzirah? When you get angry at Yetzirah, the point is you have to say, it's not me. You have to have Hagbav. It also comes from confidence. Real Musr to Yetzirah also comes from confidence. You have to be able to say, this is not me. I am much higher than this. Because I'm much higher than this, therefore I don't want it. So you have to have a certain sense of dignity and say, this is dirt in me. It's not me. And then the human being can actually eradicate himself. So that's part of the experience of Har. That's part of the experience of Har Sinai. Ach shahu ikir habitol But 
This is the primary element of Bittal that he can subdue, he can subjugate that which is unreliable. And then he gives two Mayim Mekamis, Ma'ayma Shakasav Oid Me'inyan Har, in a Ma'ayma Semeni Kechoisim. And then he gives another few Mayim Mekamis of other Ma'ayma where he elaborates on some of these subjects. Have a wonderful and beautiful day. We'll continue mid session tomorrow. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.